I will speak to you in the name of the true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It says in your bulletin today that the preacher is Harry Krause, and you will indeed hear a sermon written by Harry Krause. Uh, unfortunately, right before the early service, Harry uh, fell a bit ill, and out of an abundance of caution, he is uh, off to the hospital with James. And so if you're wondering where, where James Morton is, um, they are uh, off to the hospital. And so we'll keep Harry in our prayers. And um, Harry was uh, uh, deeply apologetic to me because he, he wanted to preach this morning because we have such a long day ahead of us. And I said, Harry, preaching sermons is fun. It's the writing of sermons that is not fun. So Harry has done 99.5% of the work, and this is uh, his sermon, and it's a good one based on today's gospel when Mary said, here am I, a servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. It sure looks like Christmas to me. The pageant set, the wreaths, the flowers, but alas, it sure isn't Christmas. Until this afternoon, it's officially the fourth Sunday of Advent. We've still got some business to attend to, and it's not last-minute gifts, more cards or email greetings, a run to Wegmans for another bag of frozen peas. We've got a better kind of excitement right here, right now. When I was teaching out in Tanzania, a few of us were talking one afternoon about how we can live the Christian life. All of the usual things were trotted out, prayers, fasting, charity, and so forth. Then one of the younger priests suddenly couldn't stand it and burst out. Christians have got to live on the edge of their pews, ready to jump up to receive what God wants to give them and do with it what he needs to have done. Now there's an idea, but what do I see out here? I see some backs on pews. It won't do. My African friend, who was smack on the point, would be terribly disappointed. If he were here, I expect he'd ask, is this where you and I really are this morning, eagerly awaiting that baby in the crib who will make all life new? Or are we busy being overwhelmed? Just think how hemmed in things are these days. Nature, for one, doesn't seem to give us any space. We get up in the dark, we go to sleep in the dark. Climate change ties us down with floods and droughts, unexpected hurricanes and hideously destructive forest fires. Social issues sap our energy and attitude, dysfunctional public servants and governments, wars of the most appalling dimensions, mass shootings, personal matters, addictions, abuse, scams, lack of medical insurance. Well, I can't go on. It's all too sad, draining, and desperate. We ask more and more each day, what can possibly come next? Is there a way forward that isn't laced with deceptions and falsehoods, misdirecting lies and deceits? 
Do we ever feel too exhausted even to think about sitting on the edge of a pew and to be enthusiastic about much of anything? You might remember one of the themes of Advent, which the rector, that would be me, Harry is quoting me here, mentioned to us on the first Sunday of Advent. It was one which I wish I'd mentioned in a pulpit sometime or other over the last several decades. He told us, in the general confession of morning prayer, we hear these words. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. Then he suggested, think of the first half of the sentence as Advent. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. The rector challenged us to use Advent to get those things, whatever they are, done. Well, I won't ask for a scorecard from you. My own is kind of dodgy. But there's still time. We've got till this afternoon. Never fear. And who is better to help us get those things done, not just this morning, but every day, someone we'd probably pay no special attention to if we passed her on Broadway or in Union Square, a quiet, seemingly obscure and unrecognized teenager, a young woman called Mary. If you were up here in the pulpit with me, I'd give you an introduction to her by asking you to look up at one of the windows on the west side of the Clara story, one of those up there where she is always with us. It depicts the Annunciation, our gospel reading this morning. But I'd rather give Luke the floor. His introduction is more than just an etiquette lesson. It's more than just having a front row seat at the pageant this afternoon. It's an opportunity to be with Mary at the most extraordinary moment in her young life. Luke wants us to see how she responds to God's will, how she offers herself to be part of his worldly mission. He wants us to understand how committed she is to give birth to God's love in the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, she'll show us how faithfulness lets us get the undone things done. Luke enjoys setting scenes. There's the time, six months since the conception of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. There's the place, a backwashed town in Galilee called Nazareth. Time and place set this event in history, not fantasy, for Luke and for us. Now the action can unfold. It was profoundly described in the reading a few minutes ago. Briefly put, God's angelic mes messenger visits Mary and tells her an astonishing thing, that she will give birth to the Son of the Most High. They have a hardly believable yet brief conversation in which the angel assures Mary that she can do this miraculous and life-changing thing in good conscience and faith. And Mary says, here I am, let it be. Can you imagine? Just like that, Mary says, I'll do this. How would we answer such a call to service? Would you make an appointment with a therapist? 
Would you get hold of your best friend to find out what she thought about it? Call a priest to find out if angels really visit us? Maybe you'd blurt out some sort of excuse. The Bible is full of excuses, you know. Here is what some of the great biblical figures said. Zechariah, I'm not sure. Jeremiah, I'm too young. Isaiah, my lips are unclean. Moses, I'm a stutterer. No thanks, don't send me. And I can't resist a pageant story about refusing a call to respond. I'm not trying to upstage Julia's story from last week. Her pageant story was splendid. We've jumped ahead in the story a bit. The angel Gabriel is standing at the top of the chancel steps with her angelettes who are bobbing up and down looking for mommy and daddy in the congregation. In front of her on the floor are about a dozen seven-year-old shepherds fiddling with their robes and anxiously holding little stuffed lambs. There are also three shepherd daddies just in case. Gabriel announces that Jesus has been born in Bethlehem of Judea. The chief shepherd turns to the others and brightly says, Come, let us go to Bethlehem and see the baby. Without dropping a beat, one of the shepherds pops up, hurls his lamb down the center aisle and shouts, I don't want to go to Bethlehem. Pandemonium ensues. Congregation, the narrators, the choir are howling with laughter. The little guys know that they didn't rehearse this, but what do we do now? Blessedly, the shepherd daddies move into action. Ah, uh, the results of out and out refusal. Refusal to follow an angel's guidance, no less. Maybe we should graciously let our young suburban shepherd off the hook. Maybe he hadn't paid attention at the rehearsal. Maybe he didn't yet know that being a shepherd in this play meant much, much more than holding a stuffed lamb and wandering in with his chums. I may have to confess that I'm not certain that the second grade Sunday school curriculum had a session about what I want to suggest is really going on in the story about Gabriel's message to Mary, that she will fulfill what is the truth for which the Jews had waited for year upon year, that she would give birth to the dynamism and glory of God's love through Jesus Christ. The Sunday school class could have begun with a short history lesson there's Nathan's promise to King David, perhaps a thousand years before Mary lived. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Do you remember there was this echo in Psalm 89? For I am persuaded that your love is established forever. I will establish your line forever and preserve your throne for all generations. This tradition shows up again and again in the Old Testament. A savior will come to Israel. This hope was the very life and breath of Judaism. It was of this which Gabriel reminded Mary when he called on her. She of all people 
would fulfill this promise. She, of all people, would get that thing done. But to offer this story as a mere history lesson would be a sad mistake. There's a much more personal, intimate reason which moves Mary to say, here I am. For one thing, it seems to me that Mary is a bridge builder in the best possible sense. She was the bridge for God himself to become one of us. She offers himself as an example to us. Through Jesus, she, if anyone, truly relates to all persons everywhere. I hope you don't mind, but I could mention that while you may not be big on Marian devotions and liturgies and holy days, at their best, they open us to the arms of faith to any and all. Why, it's remarkable that just this morning, here at Grace Church, we all sang Father Vincent Cole's words as our first hymn, Ye who claim the faith of Jesus, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Ave Maria, dare I ask, will the rosary be next? What popish novelties will be next? Candlesticks on the altar? Whoops. Setting aside my sarcasm, there is at least one more thing which Mary shows us that I don't want to overlook. Today's world in too many quarters seems to have forgotten so many basic characteristics which make life miserable, which make life livable. How many times are we told that the American public no longer trusts its institutions or each other for that matter? Alas, Mary has more than enough reason not to trust anyone or anything in her world, let alone an uninvited angelic messenger. Yet she found herself trusting when she heard only six words, nothing will be impossible with God. She answered six words of her own, here I am, let it be. Somehow, she understood that Gabriel's message was one of integrity, goodwill, dependability, and safety. The things which define trust, then things which have vanished from some quarters of our society. Alas, I still see some backs on the pews, but there's still time. You are most welcome to say, being a bridge builder and being trusting to the extent of giving yourself entirely are a large order. I'd like to think, however, as Advent comes to a close, that at the very least, what we need to get done is to make this story of Mary's encounter with the angel Gabriel our own. We need to admit that in the community of faith, what she got done, we can get done. In the end, it seems to me that Gabriel not only invites Mary to her extraordinary witness to Jesus, but he invites each one of us right here, right now, to witness to this truth in our own way. You can't manage to say, here I am, just yet. You're not blurting out, let it be, just yet. 
Please keep praying these words of Gabriel. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, for nothing will be impossible with God. You just might surprise yourself. Think of what you might get done this Christmas and always. Amen.